0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network.
1: You're listening to episode 309, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Ernesto Tagworker is the founder of Ambu Labs, a small software development company dedicated to building lean code and reducing tech debt. When he's not obsessively playing table tennis or chess, he likes to maintain a few Ruby gems, including database cleaner and email spec. He is passionate about writing less code, launching minimal products, coaching entrepreneurs, contributing to open source, and eating empanadas. Welcome to the show, Ernesto.
0: Hey, Brittany, it's uh, great to be here. I, uh, I've been a long time listener, and I'm honored to, to be here speaking with you.
1: That's fantastic. Ernesto, what is your developer origin story?
0: Oh, yeah. Do you have time? Cause Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. Um, no, I think it started when I was little. We had a talent computer at home and I got started, I think, like every other kid, like playing games in the computer. And uh, yeah, then I just love to build things. Like I love to build things with Lego and all that sort of things. And um Yeah, I I really like the idea of like building things on the computer. When I first saw something moving in the computer with like logo, I thought it was like really cool that you could move the thing, move the little turtle. So, um, yeah, I think I just, uh, I loved it really uh, just as much as I loved math and, and building things in general. So I think it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to study software engineering from when I was uh, in my teenage years. And uh, yeah, the, the truth is that I started studying information systems engineering. And to be honest, like we didn't see enough computer science in there and I was just, craving to to learn about programming languages and building things. And it was more about management and resource planning and boring stuff. So uh, to be honest, like I enjoy like 20% of my career there. And then uh, I started programming with Java. And uh, yeah, by the end of my um, career and university, I started a, my first company with uh, a couple of friends. Uh, And then it turns out, I guess I didn't just love building code and applications, but also companies. Um, That was the the very first company that I built. Uh, And then I went on to to build uh, another one called Ombulaos.
1: That is an incredibly cool story. And I definitely believe in the idea that you don't learn unless you build. And so I love that you have taken the chance to build so many companies over your time and have probably just learned so many valuable lessons
0: yeah no definitely I uh, the very first company that I started we were six partners and it was basically my buddies from school and uh, yeah I guess we were a really good group when it came to projects in university but uh, when it came time to build a company and complement each other I don't think we were doing great so uh, we kept clashing over decisions and um, yeah, everything was decided by a committee. And that was just like, uh, it was so (laughs) demotivating. So uh, yeah, by the end of of my time with that company, I decided, you know, the next company that I start is going to be smaller, and there are going to be definitely less people when it comes to making a decision. And I think I went overboard, because I started the company as a solo founder. (laughs)
1: Can you tell me all about Ombu Labs?
0: Yeah, so Ombu Labs is uh, the the next company that I founded, and it actually started as a product company. We basically wanted to build the Shopify for Latin America. At the time, uh, that's about uh, eight years ago, there was no uh, support for Shopify in Latin America. So we thought, okay, what if we build something that uh, solved that problem for many of the shops in Argentina, in Chile, and Brazil. Um, And at the time, I was living in in Buenos Aires, so I thought it was a great idea. And I went ahead and and worked on on that for about six months to launch a minimum viable product. And uh, on the side, I would do uh, freelance development to basically bootstrap uh, the product. Now, these days we do a lot more consulting. We still do Ombu shop, but I would say about 90% of our time is spent consulting on Ruby, Rails, uh, JavaScript, and Rails upgrade projects.
1: Which leads me perfectly into my next question. So diving into Fast Ruby, your Rails upgrade service, can you tell me a particularly memorable story about an upgrade?
0: Oh, so many, I have to pick Maybe, the first one is that we broke so many environments trying to get uh, our clients applications set up. Uh, we would basically be, you know, the, the current version of Rails was Rails 5.2 and we would try to start a Rails 2.3 application and we would basically break our entire environment trying to do that. Uh, now that was when we started doing the Rails upgrade thing nowadays we like to use docker for that so every time we start working on a new project we try to use docker as much as possible to make sure that um, we work in isolation and we don't break our environment every time we we have to maintain a a really really old application Um, so yeah uh, a couple of years ago we found that ombu labs was working on way too many rails upgrade projects and we thought, okay, what about, what if we just launch a service for that? Uh, we call that fastruby.io. And I know it's a little bit confusing because it's fast Ruby instead of fast Rails, but uh, we we have the vision to maybe in the future work on other upgrades, not just Rails. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's going very well. Like these days, I would say about two thirds of our, our business is reducing technical debt and bringing applications up to date to use a maintained version of Rails.
1: So I'm curious, at the current job I'm at now, they were moving from Rails 2 to Rails 4, and then right now we're working on getting up to Rails 6. Is there a particular version of Rails that most of your clients seem to be stuck on?
0: Rails 5.0 or Rails 5.2 is the version that is currently maintained. They are usually using Rails 5.0 or Rails 4.2, so they know they're behind, and they know that they really need to upgrade because they're not getting the security upgrades or the security uh, updates that um, Rails Core is releasing. So, yeah, usually it's like one or two versions behind, so they know that they're they're running a risk, you know, of someone finding a vulnerability knowing that they're using an outdated version of Rails and exploiting it. So that's when they know they need to upgrade. They just don't have the resources to do it, but they have the budget to do it, so they get in touch with us.
1: That's actually a more encouraging version than I expected to hear. I was a bit worried that it was gonna be Rails 2 and 3, so that's actually some good news. Now, Ernesto, what are some of the common blockers when trying to upgrade Rails?
0: Uh, that's a great great question brit um, i think some of the blockers that we find are gems that are dependencies in your project and have been abandoned um, and and that happens unfortunately that happens a lot you decided to add a dependency and it was great it solved your problem but then you know time went by the maintainers you know, switch their tech stack or they stop maintaining the project. And it turns out that making the upgrade to that dependency is not trivial. So one of the things that I love about the Rails upgrade business is that we get paid to make open source contributions in the sense that if an open source project has been abandoned, the client will be happy to pay us to make it uh, compatible with rails 5.2 or rails
1: 6.0 that's a really incredible benefit of doing that and probably leads you to creating some really meaningful work for the ruby community
0: yeah we uh well i i bet you and and i have been using open source for many many years and one of the things that uh i want ombu labs to do is to contribute back to the community as much as possible so One of the policies that we have is that any code that we write that is non-core to our business, we try to open source it. We're actually moving towards a policy of open by default. So anything, any internal project that we start, we want it to be open source. And when it comes to Rails, I think um, in terms of the Rails upgrade projects, we have been making contributions to make the process easier. There is a gem called 10 years Rails. Uh, We have our own version called next underscore Rails uh, that helps you with a bunch of things called, like for instance, dual booting, right? The idea of being able to quickly switch between Rails 5.2 and Rails 6.0 with just one environment variable. Now that's really awesome because you can use it in development, you can use it in test, and you can even use it in production to find incompatibilities between your application and the next version of Rails. Um, and another thing that this gem does is it tries to find incompatibilities before you even start working on the project. Uh, and I think that's really awesome for coming up with an action plan for the upgrade.
1: That sounds like an incredible resource and we'll definitely link that up in the show notes. Now a question for you is, currently our main application is running on Rails 5.2 and we're working on getting it upgraded to Rails 6. Would you consider being behind on a version tech debt?
0: I have to say, not when the when that version is just one version behind. Uh, I think usually tech debt in in that sense is more about the process and the culture, right? Uh, I would say it is tech debt if you have no plan to upgrade that in the next three months. Um, Open source moves fast. Rails especially is getting constant updates. So if you don't have a plan or if you don't have a policy for working towards the upgrade, then I think you have a debt in the form of process debt and this or I guess it would be like policy debt um, you have to be constantly checking what is changing in the next version of Rails and there are ways that you could actually run your test suite against uh, Rails 6.0 to see how many failures you would get or if you can even bundle install your project Um, And I strongly encourage our clients, every time we ship an update and we get them to the latest version of Rails, I strongly encourage them to have a dual boot set up in their uh, CI uh, service. And you don't even have to run it every time you submit a pull request, but maybe once, once a day you can um, check whether the test will pass with the next version of Rails. And if it doesn't, and if you have like 100 errors, then at least that gives you an idea of how long it's going to take when the time comes.
1: Well, that makes a ton of sense. And so speaking of tech debt, do you feel that all tech debt is bad debt?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people have uh, written about this, including Michael Feathers and Sandy Metz. They've written about this really interesting graph, uh, the churn versus complexity graph. Are, are you familiar with, with that one?
1: No, if you could please explain that, that would be great.
0: Oh, okay, cool. So one of the things that is really interesting about that graph is that it it grades every module in your application according to the churn. So the number of times your module has changed since the beginning of the project, and then it compares it to the complexity of the module. And then what it does is it places every module in this um, X and Y graph, so I believe that there is some tech debt in that graph that will show up as in files that are super complicated, but don't change much. I think that's tech debt that is okay because some modules can be super complicated, but they might be doing one job really well. And uh, Sandy Metz says, if you're not changing that file is not costing you money. So I believe that is tech debt that is okay to have in your project. And then there is another quadrant that is super interesting. And these are files that change a lot, but are not that complex. And you'll find those in the lower right quadrant. And I think that's tech debt that it's okay as well, because okay, they are constantly changing for a reason. And it is a little weird that they are constantly changing, but I don't think they're costing you money. Now the tech debt that is bad in all your application, I believe is in the upper right quadrant. And these are files that are constantly changing and they're super complex. And I think it becomes even worse if you add a third dimension to the XY graph uh, in terms of code coverage. So, If you find that our files that are constantly changing are super complex and have no tests testing them, then I believe those are the worst. And that is definitely like bad technical debt.
1: That also makes a lot of sense. So let's dive into why I brought you onto the show today. And that is to talk about stinky Ruby code, which really ties in well uh, with what we've been talking about already. So tell me all about Skunk.
0: Yeah, so Skunk is an open source project that we started at Ombu Labs to quickly assess technical debt in a Rails project. It actually works with any Ruby project, but uh, we use it mainly for Rails applications. Um, And it's strongly based on Ruby Critic, which is another gem that uh, helps you calculate the cost of maintaining a project. Now skunk is a tool that we needed to find those files that are super complex are changing a lot and have no tests that exercise their statements. This really helps us in producing a report. Every time we do a code audit for our clients, we can tell them, sure, we can upgrade your application from rails 5.2 to 6.0, but keep in mind that these files are super complicated and they might cause problems because they are, there are no tests to make sure that things don't break. And every time we go into an application, we rely heavily on tests to tell us whether we broke something or not. Um, we we really can't charge the client to learn about their business and their industry and their business model and all that. So that's how that's why we rely heavily on their test suites.
1: So I know you mentioned Ruby Critic, but which libraries are you being used to analyze your code?
0: Oh yeah, great. Thanks for bringing that up, Brit. Um, Ruby critic is actually using a bunch of other gems it uses flog to calculate complexity for a module it uses reek to calculate the number of code smells in a module and it uses um, simplecov to calculate the code coverage percentage per module and it also uses git to calculate the amount of times that a file has changed since the beginning of the project.
1: I think that score, the git score, is incredibly fascinating. And I just think the idea of tying all these gems together is a really great idea.
0: Yeah, uh, and I've gotten really interesting feedback about this. Um, it depends on whether people believe on code coverage or not. and. I believe that if there is a code coverage metric, we should trust it. Sure, you can go into the test suite and find that every single test is not really expecting anything. It's just exercising the statements. But if you go into the test suite and you see that it's actually a logical, sane um, test suite, and you look at the code coverage percentage for every module and you trust in that number, I believe it's a number that you can use to gather insights from your project. Um, One thing that I like about Ruby critic uh, is that everything is open source. So you can go in and see how things work. And I believe that at the end of the day, we want to see the formula for calculating cost. We want to be able to tweak it to use our configuration because our team's definition of quality is not going to be the same across the industry. And I believe it is important for everybody to um, have their own definition of uh, code quality.
1: I agree. Speaking of code quality, we're heavy Code Climate users where I work, and so can you use Skunk on a code quality score like Code Climate?
0: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think Code Climate is great. We have been using it for years as well, and we're big fans of the, the service. Um, actually, Skunk used to be. We we actually used to do all the calculation by hand. We would basically take a code base and run it through Code Climate and then run it through uh, simple.cov to calculate the code coverage for all files. And then we would manually cross-reference the data to get those insights that now Skunk does for us. Um, the thing with Code Climate is that part of it is uh, private. So it's, it is a private company and it is uh, defining its its GPA score. I, I don't really know how it defines their GPA score. But um, what I love about Skunk is and RubyCritic is that it is open source. So what we can do is start defining a formula that works for many of us, not just Ombu Labs, but I would love it if dozens of other consulting shops can start using the same formula to assess the code quality for a code base. And that way, when we start to talk about tech debt, instead of saying, yeah, we fixed some technical debt this sprint, we can say things like, well, this sprint, we solved uh, 27 skunk points. And uh, overall in this project, we have shipped, we have actually made it less uh, stinky in a way we have, taken it from 27,000 skunk points to uh, 20,000 skunk points. So you can see that we have not only shipped features and patches, but we have actually actively reduced technical debt as we went along.
1: How has the overall reaction been from the Ruby community for skunk?
0: Yeah, I think it has been positive overall. I have gotten feedback. Uh, the last talk I did at RubyConf Australia went really well. I got some interesting feedback. Uh, one of the, uh, I don't know if you know Tim Riley from Dryrb. RB. Oh, yes. Yeah, he. I met him at Nashville, uh, at Southeast Ruby a few years ago. And uh, one of the things he said, and I think he has a point, is that maybe instead of calling it the stink score we could call it the skunk score Uh, and yes i think that there is a point there and it's definitely something that i want to change Uh, i don't want to hurt people's feelings you know like we all you know care about the code that we write and sometimes we get very attached to the result so he said that maybe if we called it skunk points instead of stink score it would be uh, more friendly and maybe people would take it in a better way Um, but yes that that's one piece of feedback that i got another one that is pretty common is this question about the code coverage percentage Um, some people just don't believe in that metric, you know, believe that that metric is not valid at all. And sometimes I had someone come up to me after my talk at RubyConf Australia, and they were like, yeah, you know, I don't really believe in code coverage percentage uh, because I once found a project that had 100% code coverage and the tests were not testing anything. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's, interesting, but I don't I don't believe in that. I believe that there is value in code coverage metric, uh, and it might not be like a definite metric that will solve all the metrics, but it can definitely give you a signal that you can use to make better decisions about the tech debt that you pay off in every sprint.
1: So I'd love to ask you what your overall vision is for Skunk.
0: Yeah, so to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty ambitious about Skunk. I think it would be great if we can adopt it, uh, at least when it comes to software development agencies that are specialized in maintenance and reducing technical debt. If we can start having better conversations thanks to Skunk and thanks to an open source algorithm that can be maintained and crafted by the community I think that will be my my dream come true but in the meantime Skunk will continue to help us audit code bases in my company I would love it if other people find value in it and definitely share their opinions I see a lot of value in criticism as long as it is constructive and not just um, insults you know
1: no, I completely agree, and uh, you've contributed so much to the communities, and so I feel that you, out of a lot of people, understand the grace and kindness that are required to work in open source, and we appreciate you very much. Speaking of, Ernesto, what are your general thoughts over the future of the Rails and Ruby communities?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I have... Yeah, I have seen the Rails community evolve over the past 10 years, and I've been in it for at least 10 years. I used to organize RubyConf Argentina back in the day, and I think the community is more mature these days. I think a lot of people have left the community, but a lot of people are coming into the community every year. Uh, I see a lot of bootcamp graduates coming into the community, and I think that's great for us. I think a lot of people left because of, you know, maybe they found some value in some other communities, but I think a lot of people left because of shiny object syndrome, you know, like, yeah, Ruby may not be as cool anymore as other languages is. But to be honest, it solves the problem, and it is uh, driven by programmer happiness, which is something that's been there for years and continues to be there. And I believe Rails uh, is definitely moving in the right direction. I think it's exciting to have Shopify and GitHub running uh, the latest version of Rails and contributing so much to the framework. I see so many changes coming that are going to make the Rails experience even better for future generations.
1: I absolutely agree. So, Ernesto, how can listeners follow you and Ambu Labs?
0: Yeah, sure. So, usually uh, you can find me on Twitter at eTACWorker. I tweet about technical stuff and uh, definitely some politics. Um, <laughs> mm and you can definitely find some of my articles on the fast ruby blog which is at fastruby.io slash blog um, yeah and definitely check out the projects on github uh, that's github.com slash
1: fantastic i want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today in light of the recent news listeners of ruby kaiji and uh, getting delayed and RailsConf, being canceled for this year. I just want to remind you to be safe, to wash your hands, and to love each other. Talk to you next week.